Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. court of ideas which Athens is trying to uphold and so he's promoting his belief system and what he's trying to do although he does kick a few little kind of barbs in like he tends to do he drops in the resurrection thing right when he sounds like he's got him in his hand and the resurrection and then there's like oh man you ruined at the end but what he's trying to do is is defend himself by saying what I'm actually teaching is part of what you understand. It's just below the surface. You right. haven't realized that the reality of the true God's been here all along and you didn't see him. Right. Which is why some people say this is a, a sermon that promotes a natural theology, mm-hmm. that in the world you can find revelation of the one true God without necessarily the revelation of Jesus. Like we can find God through observing a the mountain, world around a us. sunset. Yeah. Like you know, there has to be a creator. Yeah. But, um, you know, the more traditional position would say, well, maybe you might understand there is something transcendent in existence, but can you really know God apart from Jesus? Hello and welcome back to another episode of River Life's Bible Streams podcast. Ah, so good. It's great to be here. It is great to be here. This is a podcast channel where we explore scripture the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and uh, we are in our sixth episode in the book of Acts. Boom. My name is Scott McKinnon. I'm joined by Joe Luton, my co-host. I we are both joined with you. You are indeed. We're both one past. spirit, <laughs> one Lord, one baptism. Let's save that for Ephesians. Okay, Actually, sorry. Ephesians was one of my favorite uh, books so far that we've explored. So good. It was really good. Go back oh, and listen to that if you've you got should. time, man. Or listen to today's and then go back and listen. That'll make more sense. Yeah. Or next week's. Uh, next week's episode. Next week episode. Well, next, next episode. Yeah. Anyway, on to anyway, today's welcome episode. Welcome to Bible hey, Streams. We're going to talk about the letter that Luke wrote to follow up his gospel, all about the acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit to present the good news of Jesus in the early Roman world. So good. Great summary. So good. Not good the, it's actually not the early Roman world. I got that right. Ah, in the early yeah, church yeah, years, yeah, yeah. the first century after Jesus. <laughs> and we're in our sixth episode on this book of Acts. Uh, we've talked at length at, about the- At length. At length. We have. We have. It's we what we really do. Have. This is what we, we are spending a lot of time looking at looking at these books and uh, these chapters. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground so far. <clears throat> Quite literally, a lot of mileage has, has so many miles <laughs> has happened throughout these five episodes. Even though we've been sitting there's in seats, there's more to come. There's more to come. Tonight we're going somewhere tonight. else. Tonight, I feel like it's tonight. Okay, you sure. like this is a tonight deal. All right, let's pretend we're we're recording tonight. Why not? Okay, sure. It feels like it's more mysterious. Oh, right, sure. Yeah. So tonight we are packing our bags and going to somewhere else. Sure. Uh, in tonight. our previous episode, we talked about 
um, Paul and Barnabas preaching the um, gospel, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. They began with the Jewish synagogues in in many cities that they went to, and they were able to preach the good news, um, explaining that that um, that the Gentiles are included in to the body um, of Christ and into God's family, uh, and uh, and that happened in many different provinces. And uh, yeah, we we explore that. Um, last episode, it kind of finished at this thing that we called the Jerusalem Council, which is where a bit of a dispute came up as to whether or not the Gentiles, now that they've received Jesus and the Holy Spirit, whether or not they had to be circumcised mm-hmm. and fulfill the the circumcision that the was law of Moses, yeah, yeah that was given in the Law of Moses. Um, and so we kind of concluded that no, they don't need to; they just have to. Um, it would be good for them to abstain from sexual immorality, from drinking blood and food and sacrifice to idols and also mm. animals that were strangled. Um, strangled. So there you go. And they had the blood still in them. Interesting. So we yeah. talked about that last episode. If you missed that, go back, check it out. It makes a lot of sense. And it really is a foundational kind of uh, chapter in our faith. You know, you finished last episode by saying something like, we are all recipients of that. If if yeah. we if we're uh, you know uh, an Aussie born or a, a non Jewish non Jewish descent, yeah, <laughs> then we are recipients of that council. That conversation makes yeah. a big difference, massive for us. difference. And so we are actually going to begin today in chapter fifteen. We didn't right? quite we didn't finish, finish it off. We didn't quite finish it no. off. Um, but yeah, so we're going to explore chapters. Um, the end of chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18. And, and again, we're going to leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger. We're not going to quite Always. go into to 19, but uh, there will be uh, – yeah, we'll explain well, that. Well, it seems appropriate. It does. Because Acts itself, when we get to the end, massive cliffhanger. True. What will happen? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so today is going to be really awesome. We're going to look at Paul's second missionary journey. Pick up in chapter 15, verse 36. After some time, after some days in Antioch teaching and spending time with the brethren, the brothers and sisters, the the body of Christ, the church there, Paul says to Barnabas, let us go, let us return to visit the people in every city where we have already proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay, so that's that's great. Like This is awesome. Second round of follow-up calls. Yeah. yeah, it's time to go visit everyone. Well, because on on their way they they went into new towns, and then on the way back they visited they those touched towns. base yeah. with all of them again. So yep. this is just another uh, reason, um, I guess, to explain that Paul is just so keen to touch base with these guys. You know, these are the Gentiles; they also need guidance, and so they're going to go and touch base with them. But it doesn't quite work out like that. In fact, um, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. So this is John Mark, his nephew. Yeah, his nephew. His yeah. So they're related. They're like, hey, remember hey. he came with us one time before. It was good, right? And just before they left, um, for uh, in Galatia and for um, they left Cyprus to go to Galatia. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just before they left there, John Mark turned around. He went back to Jerusalem because of some reason. You know, that's just a bit of a. We're not sure exactly why, but Barnabas would like to take John Mark, but. 
Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in uh, Pamphylia. And they had not continued with them in the work. Now, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. So we're talking about Barnabas and Paul here. Like these I know, the, right? These are the guys who... Working out, guys. They've, they've made an inroad into the Gentile community. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose someone else, Silas, mm. and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Yeah. So a um, bit of a bummer, oh, no. right? And this is really interesting because this is Paul who in like Second Corinthians writes, God has granted us this ministry of reconciliation, yeah. not holding people's sins against them, right? So isn't it really interesting when we start to kind of marry up the narrative of Acts with what Paul writes in his letters. So it's like, is he contradicting himself? Mm-hmm. Or we know that he hasn't yet been to Corinth, so he can't have written Second Corinthians. So that's all True. later. And so you wonder, and, and this is what we miss from reading it like we did. So, you know, oh, he goes throughout Syria and Cilicia visiting churches. This is a lot of distance he's got to cover. He's got to cover it from walking, or on horseback or donkey back, he is going slowly. It is a long way between things. He's got a lot of time. It's not a quick thing to just go from one place to another. It's a fairly easy thing because the Romans established roads, but it's a long time. So when Paul has this massive disagreement with Barnabas and says, no, we're going to part ways, guess what he's thinking about for days and weeks while he's journeying? He's thinking about his brother, his partner in spreading the good news of Jesus and their sharp disagreement. Mm-hmm. So you start to, if you start to put yourself in that space of what would it have been like to walk along the road with Paul after this disagreement? What's yeah. he thinking about? Yeah. What's he praying about? Because he's a devout Jew. He's the one who said, "Pray without ceasing." Yeah. So he's going to be praying. He's going to be talking to Jesus. Again, talking with the Holy Spirit to the Father about, man, what's just happened? Did I do the mm-hmm. right thing? And so you start to see this maturing of thought, not changing of theology, but this way that Paul starts to reflect on his life as he goes through. And so. Yeah. By the time he gets through all of the trials in front of us for this episode and the next, he's going to sit down and realize, oh, hang on, this isn't how I'm supposed to conduct myself. I'm supposed to be a minister of reconciliation. Mm. And the people that I invest my life in are my letter of recommendation. Like really interesting to start to see what triggers things in Paul's life and where there's possible teaching moments where the Lord's grabbed a hold of Paul and yeah. said, actually, you know what, I'm going to put my hand on this part of your life and we're going to work on that. That's great. So it's yeah. really interesting, right? And also interesting. And it's easy to miss if you just go, oh, yeah, so yeah. they had a disagreement, they didn't yeah. talk to each other anymore and he moves on. Yeah. But when you connect them back together, it's wow, true. there's a whole lot it's going a, on. It's a lot. It's super rich there, isn't it? But really? also there's, uh, it is to note that Luke makes no reference to a, a theological or doctrinal no. you know, issue. It's probably personality or just yeah. Well, just I don't this. like that guy. He's unreliable. Don't yeah, and he's like, well, he he's bailed. my nephew. He bailed. It's like, well, yeah. I don't care. He's coming. Well, he's not coming on my boat. Yeah, pretty well. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, um, we'll see. Eventually, though, Paul reconciles with John Mark, mm. and they do some ministry work together. And so, but later on, and so Paul has gone on a journey. Interesting, um, and uh, also interesting to note that Silas was a prophet. Mm. Barnabas was mm. an apostle. Mm. So I wonder if that was a part of it as well. That Paul's like, "Well, this has been really good. We've been we've been able to establish different different churches and things, but now I need I need a pro, I need a 
prophet to my apostle, mm. you know, like. Well, and Paul's also potentially a prophet or a teacher. True. Because he's listed in that list earlier. Yeah. So, but he's you know. also apostle, you yeah. know, like, so yeah, interesting. So I think, I think this is an uh, interesting little thing how it's played out, but it's still, um, you know, glory to God that he would still use both these people. So what do they, what do they do? They go through his hometown. They go possibly through Tarsus. They go up yep. and then fang a left and they go over through Derby or they go over to Derby. So they go Across through. Across the mountains. Yeah, that's right. So whereas the first missionary journey, they went through Barnabas's hometown. Now they're kind of going through Tarsus. Mm. And what an interesting experience that would have been for Paul. Um, I mentioned last episode I've been reading N.T. Wright's biography of Paul and he kind of has this little thought experiment about what it would have been like because Paul probably went through Tarsus. It's like he's been back before. In fact, after he got converted, after he, or after he experienced right. Jesus at yeah. some point, he went back and spent some time there because Barnabas like had to go fetch him. 10 years, 13 years or something? No idea, yeah. yeah. Like Barnabas had to go fetch him from Tarsus. So he's been home. He's processed this. His family know that he still wants to be Jewish in that he follows the one true God like they do, but Jesus is now the way. Yeah. And so you can imagine the conversation and what that meant for Paul to go through his hometown. Did his family agree with him? Had they rejected him? Did they? Did he talk to them about it? Did he try and convince them? Had they believed? Like there's no mention of it whatsoever. So it's a really interesting thing to think about for Paul as for me it really humanizes him. It really pulls him into that place of it's not just some weird theologian who's so removed from me. Mm. He's a guy with family and experiences and God's using them mm. to speak to us. So good. He goes through Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, uh, explaining. I think the the decision that he's just heard. You know, he's he's heard that the Gentiles are able to, to of course, be part of the faith, but mm. also to abstain from these different things. So he goes to explain those decisions, and mm. we meet another character, don't we? Well, yeah. So he's back in his his South Galatian region, which is where he thinks he's supposed to be spending all his time, right? Which we'll find out soon. Yep. Something interesting, and he meets Timothy. Hey. Timothy shows up and Timothy um, of the letters to Timothy, that same Timothy. Yeah. Um, and we meet him who's Jewish and Greek. Yeah. Right? So his father's Greek and his mom's Jewish. Jewish. And just a little, you know, and it's quite matter of fact. It says Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews from those places for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, for the observers, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders. Wait, what? Huh? Hold on. Why? So the decision reached by the apostles and elders is that people didn't need to be circumcised to be part of the Christian what faith. What is going So Paul circumcised Timothy here. and then they went and told people. Yeah, great. And actually, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. Luke, what are you saying here? This like, is what? confusing. We've just got one decision made mm. and now, you're, you know, Paul, now you're going to go circumcised. Timothy. Well, so if you think about it this way, like this is the interesting way to maybe <clears throat> begin to look at this is that when Paul's saying that this isn't the requirement for salvation, is he saying none of it is useful? So is he saying you don't have to follow the law of Moses to be saved and so we don't have to even look at it? It's not. Or is he saying it is useful in circumstances, it is useful for understanding God, it is useful for some other things. So at the end of this section there's a really weird um, incident where Paul cuts his hair due to a vow that he has mm. made. Mm. And you're like, hang on, I thought making vows was not a Christian yeah. thing. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That sounds weird. It sounds like some weird liturgical ritualistic thing. Isn't That's not what we do because I think we might think of Paul as like a reformed Protestant Christian yeah. who would probably just have 
you know, they'd probably have a beer with Martin Luther <laughs> and they'd you know, smoke cigars and be really reformed, um, have good beards. Um, no doubt. <laughs> you know, like I think we think of Paul like that, but there's a whole lot more going on here. And so one of the suggestions is that Paul knows he's going to be spending a lot of time with Jewish people. He's already had significant resistance from the Jews. So he knows that circumcision doesn't make you saved. But Timothy is already saved. He's believed. He's a follower of Jesus. So saying, well, if we do this, then maybe it's actually going to lower some barriers for table fellowship mm. that we can go and sit with the Jews in the synagogues. They're not going to kick my guy out, but I can actually take him into those places mm. and he can be part of this. Because Barnabas was Jewish, but Timothy wasn't mm. in that sense, in circumcision. And so maybe Paul's going like, this is actually more trouble than it's worth to not. It's an interesting concept. So obviously for Paul it's not black and white because the issue is about are you saved once you're circumcised or is the issue about you're saved once you have placed your faith in Jesus and what you do as a result of that is according to the command of Christ by the Holy Spirit to your life. Mm, interesting. Interesting, right? So we, interesting. like it's it's still like there's nothing explained about Luke doesn't give us any details. Nothing. Yeah. We literally just had a big fight about circumcision. Yeah. There was dissension, no small amount of dissension about circumcision and salvation. But there was and a small Paul amount of dissension here. Luke didn't explain it. Okay, so that, that aside, that incident aside, which I think that's a potential understanding that Paul still knows that there's Jewish people that he's called to and so there's, there's some barriers there that need to be overcome and this is one that can be overcome easily. We know that Titus wasn't circumcised and he didn't make him get circumcised even when people threatened to. And uh, we'll meet Titus later on. Yeah, so they've they've encouraged the churches. Paul's usual thing; he's doing what he does. There's a lot of time and a lot of distance covered in a few verses here. Yeah. We get to verse six, and uh, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they've gone north from Antioch. They haven't been allowed to turn right and go east <laughs> into Asia. They're going up through Asia Minor, Turkey, Galatia way, and. They come now to Mysia and attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Interesting. This is so interesting. So Twice. Paul is thinking he's going back to the churches that he's planted yep. and he wants to just encourage them, and he's not allowed to. He's actually prevented from going to places around that. So in verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So they're going back down to the edge of the Mediterranean, away from where he wanted to go, east and north. And uh, in the night, while he's at Troas, one night, we don't know how many nights he's there, a man of Macedonia appears to him in a vision saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen a vision, immediately he, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul, all of a sudden, everything shifts. He had thought to just go back to Asia Minor. He was still in Asia, in the Middle East. And then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit opens up the door to Europe. And this is where the European mission is about to begin. But something else significant just happened. All of a sudden, Luke, who's writing this, stops saying Paul and his friends and says, we we sought to go into Macedonia. That's right. And God had called us to preach the gospel. So we finally meet Luke. Verse 7, it says, when they came to the border, verse uh, 10 says, after Paul, Paul had seen the vision, we got up and at once to leave for Macedonia. So we can probably assume that, we're meeting Luke yeah. right here. Here he is. You've got to read between the lines. You have to be really quite um, studious to pick this up or have a commentator say it for you. Yeah. Um, Bible college are great at pointing that stuff Either out. way. but this It's an is, expensive lesson, but I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Paul here. And another theory I was reading. Um, we're going to go meet a girl called Lydia. 
Lydia, Lydia. And then it goes back to they. Interesting. Ooh. At the end of end of chapter 16, uh, verse 40. I know this is jumping ahead, but mm. after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, one guy I was reading, um, C. Peter Wagner was saying, look, there's so many different, you know, scholars who have talked about this. I don't really want to add to the list, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's possible that Luke is um, man, making a covenant with Lydia. He reckons that they Ooh. were in a relationship, bit of a, a, a romance happening on oh, this wow. this level of Bible streams podcast. Missionary dating. That's right. So um, <laughs> Got to flirt to convert. And because <laughs> he, he, the way he, he kind of <laughs> – uh, explains it is Lydia is he she's a leader she's quite um she's well known wealthy. she's um she's also yeah kind of socially high up in, mm, on the chain yeah. and Luke he's a physician he's a smart man he's also high up on the on the social chain and mm-hmm. he reckons that they would have been a perfect match there you go match literally the Holy Spirit brought them together <laughs> made in heaven oh it's beautiful <laughs> I don't know if that's real but <laughs> that's, it's impossible that's a great theory yeah. and there's no reason why it can't work there you go um, yeah so we, they sail from Troas and they go straight basically get themselves to Philippi via a few different places which is um, a massive city in Macedonia so it's a different air, it's a different nation at this point in time to Greece um, but they've crossed across the Hellespont and they're now in Europe. This is now the time they've the gospel is about to break into Europe. Crazy. Which is interesting because the Jewish faith's already gone there. And in a little bit, we're going to find some people who may have already heard about this Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did it get there already? We don't know. Anyway, we'll get to that. But we meet Lydia. Maybe so, Barnabas and John Mark got there first. Yeah, they're like, well, if you're not going to invite <laughs> us on your trip, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> I hear Sicily's lovely this time of year. Let's go. Um, so so they've had the dream about the Macedonian man. They end up in Philippi. So we were talking last episode about cities named after people, yep. like Antioch, you know. So Philippi is named after the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip II. He's like, I like this place. I'm going to name it after myself. Um, but the interesting thing about Philippi is historically um, we know that there was no synagogues yeah. in Philippi. It's a Roman It's a Roman. It was a big Roman city town. at this yeah, point. City. Yeah, And so it was prided itself on being Roman. Um, and so there's no synagogue so there's nowhere for the jews and for the god fearers to meet mm. so they have this place of prayer that paul finds out about and he goes to the place yeah, of prayer and by the river yeah down by the river yeah. and so on the way there they speak to this woman whose name is lydia from thyatira and she's a seller of purple goods uh, which was a prized thing in those days that's, that's actually a significant thing so there's two ways to make purple cloth there was one that involved this okay. particular shellfish. Oh, and one was a it was like this a root. Bug? No, oh. it was like this root plant, like a certain kind of plant, and they would boil. Anyway, so it's not an easy process. So for someone to be a seller of purple cloth, they were legit, like they were pretty high class. Was purple cloth mentioned in the tabernacle? Maybe. Yeah, like it was. And plus it was a royal colour, yeah. and so it was highly demanded by those in or places of authority, positions of authority. So she's someone important. She's a worshipper of God. Huh. She hears the message. She responds. She's baptized. So her household as well. And then invites Paul and the crew to come and live with her. And, and they have this base in Philippi. And probably Luke. Probably Luke. Probably. <laughs> more and more opportunity for love to blossom. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know about that hypothesis. But anyway, that's it's interesting. So one day they're going to the place of prayer. They're still in Philippi. They're still in Philippi. They're hanging out probably with Lydia and the crew. 
Luke um, and Lydia are off getting a latte somewhere. <laughs> oh, so funny. Anyway, and they come across this female slave who been, um, who has a spirit by which she predicts the future. So she's a fortune teller and she earned a great deal of money through this. For her owners. Yeah, for her owners through this, um, you know, fortune telling and this this demonic spirit sort of uh, way. And so she followed Paul and um, she actually says this. This is really interesting to pick up. She says, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Mm. So she's the demon possessed fortune teller and she is telling the truth about Paul. Remember the gospels? Same thing. Demons see who Jesus is and go, oh, my goodness, this is the son of God. Mm. Uh, and they start telling everyone, and Jesus is like, uh-uh, shh, it's not the time yet. Interesting. Quiet. Yeah. So, you know, the demonic is seeing the reality of, of the spiritual realm. But also, you know, James picks it up when he says, you know, faith is is not, um, faith without works is dead because even the demons believe yep. and they shudder. So yeah. they believe that Jesus is Lord, of course, because he's the one who's got authority yeah. over them. And they know. And they know. And so, I don't know, this is kind of an interesting thing to put out that Luke is actually clear to say that this fortune-telling demon-possessed woman was uh, was kind of telling the truth. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But. But she followed Paul um, for days on end, as it turns out. <laughs> Uh, she kept this up for many days, and finally Paul had become so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. <laughs> so interesting that Paul hadn't thought about kicking it out before. There mustn't have been that exceptional. There have been a lot of this stuff going on. Like, or These places it, are super, like this is no synagogue. This is a pretty pagan true, city. True, true, yeah. This is, it's full of idol worship and spiritualism, all sorts of stuff. Like it's all going on. Or was he There's praying? temple prostitutes. There's so much stuff. Paul's going about his work, so we don't know. He's just, he's doing what he does. But right? I mean like, yeah, like you said, why does it take so long? What, like why didn't Paul just do it immediately? He may not have known, yep. sure. Or was he... Like getting courage? Was he like building <laughs> well, up some like faith? Deliverance in him? by annoyance. It's like you've made me so frustrated. I'm gonna actually I'm have so to talk annoyed. to the boss about this. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay. So the demon leaves, which is wonderful. What's and- interesting though is what she says, right? That, that's right. So she's saying, um, they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation or the way to be saved. Hmm. Like so this is interesting. I didn't realize this until I was reading some commentaries. Um that was actually a Roman phrase, which the Roman Empire would use of itself. So when the Roman Empire came into town, it was bringing salvation to its people. Wow. Right? And so because there's there's roads and there's commerce and there's stability and all this kind of stuff. And so, like, that was the the phrase of the empire was the Romans brought salvation to you. Hmm. They set you free, uh, which is hilarious because they didn't. So it was this propaganda statement well, by Rome. Interesting. But the euangelion is the... Is a Roman concept. It's like the good the, news of the Rome coming yeah. of, of the emperor. Yeah, but also like a victory of the yeah. war that had been won. Yeah. So the gospel, the the euangelion, which is the Greek term for gospel, good news, is, yeah. is that exactly right? It's yeah. like it's like a it's a a term of of good news coming to a certain town. Mm. And so, like Luke's also like reporting her words and pl- and how this is playing off this clash of kingdoms. So you think you know the way to salvation because you're in this very Roman city, doesn't even have a synagogue, 
and yet the real way of salvation has showed up and now the spirits are crying it out. So interesting. deliverance happens and then it all goes to pot. That's right. So when the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. Um, they brought them out in front of the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing um, our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So they joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they're being flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when they received those orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened um, their feet in the stocks. So yeah. they're like, they've been beat, they're chucked in prison, not just in prison, but in the inner, 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 inner prison. Yeah. And they're in, uh, in, you know, bondage, literally. So it's interesting. Um, it's a spiritual problem. The demon creates an economic issue for the owners, which becomes a political and legal problem. All linked. All, all linked. Like, all linked. Oh, in. Which is really interesting because the gospel does impact all aspects, right? Yeah. And that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting flip too. So Paul gets accused of these anti-Roman teachings. Like he's teaching things against what Rome says. So notice the flip here in the cities where there's synagogues, the Jewish people get mad for speaking anti-Jewish, anti-traditional. You're tearing down the law of Moses. You're destroying everything we've held precious for centuries, for millennia. And he comes to this city and they're like, he's teaching anti-Roman customs. It's like, man, like. Can't win, (laughs) Kenny. So it's constantly flipping. And so it's interesting too because the Jews were the only group of people who were actually allowed to keep their traditional beliefs. Mm. So it wasn't illegal to be Jewish in the Roman Empire. You could keep it. You could observe the laws, the customs, all of that stuff. The only thing they had taken from them was the death sentence. They couldn't carry out a death sentence, So, which is why they would be able to give 40 lashings, 40 whippings to someone who'd done the wrong thing. They weren't allowed to stone them, which is interesting. That was illegal. But then they do anyway sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But they, uh, and to the point where they didn't want to break the rules that have been put on them, they don't like give people 39 lashes because they didn't want to go to 40 and miscount and make it 41. Right. So that is this really interesting huh. li- kind of, you know, very thorough when it comes to the letter of the law. Uh, and so they're charged with being anti Roman, but it wasn't actually illegal to be Jewish in the Roman Empire. Hmm. Which is quite interesting. And then the, the local authorities break the law because Paul's a Roman citizen. Which we'll get to in the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's which is where this kind of flips out. So he's accused of doing things illegal, which aren't illegal, and then something illegal happens to him by people who should be upholding the law. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. What the heck? It's this knot. Yeah. It's this big knot that happens, and no one knows that he's, he's a Roman citizen. They all think he's a Jewish guy. And, he, yeah, it's just crazy. crazy. So like you said, so uh, he's, he's in prison. He eventually gets out of prison and he's then kind of mad about it. He says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Uh, why'd you put me in prison? That's not how you treat me, okay? Yeah. But before we get in there, there's, there's a pretty yeah. awesome story. But he's just in been middle. beaten. True. Just don't forget that. We'll True. Keep that and we'll move forward. Okay, so and then about at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, so they're in the middle of the prison. Yeah. They've been they got their feet in stocks and they're locked in there. They've got a guard who's, who's watching them mm. and they're singing and praying to God. One of my earliest memories of our, our former senior pastor, Rick Benson, he preached on this passage and he says, ah, see, the good thing about Paul was he had perspective. In his perspective, he wasn't chained to a guard. He had a guard chained to him. <laughs> and that guard had to listen to everything he had exactly. to say. Exactly. <laughs> and not just him. It says that uh, all the prisoners were listening to them. Yeah. Suddenly 
There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were, sh- were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It goes on to say that the jailer woke up and then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, uh, trembled as before um, Paul and Silas. And, uh, and, and then he says, what do I have to do to get saved? Yeah, it's so really interesting. The, the jailer has a conversion experience once mm. he sees this earthquake that seems to be a supernatural event. Mm. So the prisons are interesting places, right? So prisons were not where you went when you were being punished for breaking the law. Prisons are where you went while you're waiting to be tried for what you've done wrong. Right. Because usually you either got an economic punishment or you're just like kind of killed yeah. or made a slave or something like that, right? So prisons were the holding place. And so these guys were running a business. The jailers running a business holding people and people would have to bring them food. They didn't provide them anything. It just kept them safe. And so if he lost his prisoners, he'd lose his life because mm. it's his income, it's everything. So he's, that's why he's freaking out. And that's yeah, what why do I have he, to do to be yeah. saved? Like Which is again a riff off the Roman thing, right? Like true. isn't he already saved because he's a Roman citizen? No, not necessarily. So he must have had some, you know, the Holy Spirit must be some somehow work in his life that he comes to that realization, what I have mm. to do to be saved? And Paul replies, well, actually Paul and Silas, it says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Mm. It's really powerful. Like the lesson, a lesson out of this for us is that just that act of obedience and kindness like Paul could have walked out, God knocked off the chains, but Paul paid enough attention to what was going on that he didn't leave, yeah. but he stayed, saved the guy's life. The guy was so touched by this act of grace, this act of mercy, that he goes, well, there's something going on here. He's probably heard the the whole story a number of times because he's in the jail with true, him. True, It's like, yeah, this guy's been talking all day. Singing all night. <laughs> yeah, so he knows what's going on. And so, yeah, he responds. I think that's really cool that for us the challenge is like in our – moments of suffering or confinement or lack when we're stuck, like there's an opportunity to actually engage with God, what God's doing. I think that's where Acts starts to become really powerful is that it can speak into our moments and our perspectives and our attitudes to things. And quite literally, God wants to break down prison doors in our lives for his glory that people would know and understand and make a decision to follow him and to be moved by the the power of God, like that's the God that we serve, and that's the God who who does these things, and uh, all these things are pointing back to Him. So cool. Mm. So at daylight, uh, the magic. Well, so yeah, so the, no one knows anything's happened. Yeah, that's so right. They go back into the prison. Like he doesn't run away because otherwise the, the jailer's in trouble. So they stay in prison after the after he gets saved. Right? It's crazy. So when it was at daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order um, release those men. Then uh, the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Yeah. Like, what? So they're still in there. They don't leave. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and um, threw um, us uh, in prison. Uh-oh. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, 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 he says. Um, and so... <laughs> 
the officers reported this to magistrates that they were Roman citizens. They were very alarmed and they came to appease them and escort them out from the prison, mm. requesting uh, them to leave the city. <laughs> yeah, time for you to go. Please don't tell anyone we did this bad thing. Like, you did a bad thing, we did a bad thing. Right. Let's just call it even. So uh, Paul and Silas came out of the prison. They came to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Yeah. So that's kind of the end of the Philippian ministry that he does. But he obviously plants a church there that touches him because when he writes his letter to the Philippians, oh, man, it's stoked. so amazing. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. So in love with these people, just so encouraged by them, so hopeful for them. And, uh, yeah, that's where we finish um, chapter 16. So it's a brief scene in in Philippi, but it's a really important scene. We don't actually know how long he was there. He was probably there for some weeks, if not months. And so it's, a, it's an amazing moment and we get to see a little bit behind the scenes of an, a scene in Paul's life. left the Paul and the crew have left Philippi but not Luke no Luke doesn't it goes back it to they, they yep. left. so Luke's probably still uh maybe sorting things out with Lydia maybe and maybe then not. the crew head on they go through a few more cities and they come to Thessalonica another big city um it's the capital of Macedonia it's the the biggest city there it's really important um it's they've walked around the edge of the Aegean Sea and so they've done a bit of a they're, they're looping around nice. uh, a bit of a scenic tour yep it's it's the only well they could have gone across by boat but they walk around nice. uh they visit some places Paul shows up he teaches in the synagogue again Abraham Classic. Exodus and Classic. Moses King David Classic. does his whole kit uh and guess what the Jews get upset yeah but some of the Jews were stoked and they joined them others were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Classic. Yeah. It's like a classic response to being... Oh, start a riot. It is. So they rushed dun, into dun, 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 a bloke dun, 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 called... I'm going to start a fight. <laughs> no. Um, they rushed into a bloke called Jason's house. So Jason's obviously someone who welcomed them, was part of the believers yeah. in that city. So they, they were hanging out at Jason's house, apparently, um, to search for Paul and Silas. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and uh, now have come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying, they are defying Caesar's decree saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. I love it. In my translation, it says, these men have turned the world upside down. Uh-huh. It's such a good it's pretty cool. idea. That, that this is countercultural and they're, pro- they're proclaiming this other king and everyone gets upset, everyone's disturbed. And so um, they basically fine Jason for doing for harboring these. Yeah, these, he's got to pay some money. Yeah. But he's, he's released. Characters. He's released, fortunately. Yep. Good on you, Jason. And so everyone says, okay, this is way too much heat. You need to go. Yeah. But interesting. So he's been there at least three weeks because he goes three Sabbath days teaching the scriptures. True, so he's maybe there a month, maybe. Give it a month. Right. And yet, and he leaves because he's, 
he's got the heat on Jason. Yeah. But this is the next church that he actually ends up writing letters to. So yeah. this is a really significant moment in his ministry again that seems insignificant in Acts, but when we look at the letters, they're really quite important. But he doesn't write them yet. He flees Thessalonica to Berea. And Berea, he goes to the synagogue. He finds these people to be quite wise, quite noble. They actually search the scriptures to test out Paul's teaching to make sure it's in line with what they know the scriptures to say. They're eager to search out the scriptures. They do it every day. And then they believe because they've checked and they've searched and they they hear. And there's a bunch of women and men. Again, remember Luke's, one of his themes is minority groups yep. in the ancient world That's are right. welcome yep. into the good news. Yep. So women, children, minority groups as well, slaves, people like that. Greek women, Greek yep. men. Yep. So, yep. Um, But then the Jews from back up the road who raised up the mob and attacked Jason's place, they hear that Paul's preaching the gospel <laughs> in Berea and they're like, uh So they come on down the road with the mob and they attack Paul again. Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone, so they, and this is a really interesting moment. They send Paul away by himself mm-hmm. and the others, uh, they're going to go to see him. But we find out later that they actually go back to Thessalonica, spend some time there, then in Berea, and they make their way back to where Paul gets sent onto. So Paul's sent onto Athens by boat. But he goes by himself. Interesting. Which yeah. is the first time that this happens. You know, even back in in the Gospels, Jesus says to the 72, go out two by two. And I think he does that strategically because maybe he knows that we by ourselves individually don't have, you know, like enough willpower or enough, you know, strength by ourselves instead. He sends us out in two by two. And here for the first time, Paul is sent by himself. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, so interesting. So he ends up in Athens. Mm. Those who were um, escorting Paul brought him to Athens and then left uh, with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, so then Paul is waiting for them in Athens and he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he's in this Greek city full of idols. You know, some of the idols, I was looking into them a little bit just because I tried to understand the the idols that he's talking about. Mm. Now, in these Greek uh, cities and in Athens, I'm going to generally speak, that there were families who had altars to Zeus in their yards. Mm-hmm. So Zeus is the god of gods and he's the, you know. Yeah, god. Yep. And uh, so they had Altars to him. They had um, apparently non-poisonous snakes in their pantries to yes, like to eat uh, f- off food offered to them. Oh, there you go. Yeah, random. Um, they offered food to Hestia, the spirit of hearth, which is uh, like the like the uh, home fertility and, pr- yeah, and, and fruitfulness, yeah. something God. Yeah, um, families would offer wine to um, Agathos Daemon, I think, which mm. is the the good demon, mm-hmm. whatever that means. I don't know how you can have a good demon, but anyway. Uh, the countrysides had places that were dedicated to particular mountains, to trees, to rivers or winds. So these things that are like we would call pantheism, which yep. is uh, that the, the creation is God. Mm. And so they would worship those um, different parts of creation. Uh, we know from, uh, from readings that Socrates worshipped pan, or pray to Pan. He was an outdoor spirit who had the legs and face of a goat. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, this is all to say that there are so many different idols, so many different like altars and things built to mm. worship other things. Now, we have the idols. 
A lot of them are physical things, but we know that there are things behind the physical idols mm. themselves. There's often spirits that are attached to or like whatever, blah, blah, mm. blah, over all these things. And uh, yeah, so there's often an v- invisible thing behind the visible idol itself. Mm. And this is kind of the, the, the territory and the city that Paul comes to as he comes to Athens and he's not stoked about it. Mm. It's It would have been really shocking to him because all of that's there, he's seeing it. Um, I've not been to Athens and so others who have will probably be able to confirm or deny this, but I've read that if you come to Athens by boat, as you come in, you see the Parthenon up high above uh-huh. the city. Athens itself is named after Athena, the a Roman goddess or Greek goddess. So it's a, it's a centre of Greek worship or in the context of scripture, pagan worship. Yeah. Uh, so this massive, massive temple to Athena up on top of the hill, overseeing everything. There's temples to Nike and everyone there, all these, these, these gods. And so it's all in the midst of everything. And it's Athens was also known historically yes. as the center of the philosophical world. Yeah. So all the different philosophical yeah. movements, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all these people, this has been where they had come to the marketplace to share their ideas. So the marketplace is where everyone would, would come and philosophize and talk. In fact, that that's where Paul goes and he's like, these people will just listen to all these crazy things. And yeah. he runs into these Epicureans and Stoics there as well. That's right. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And so this kind of, where we're going to go in a bit, but Epicureans and Stoics. Stoics. Yeah. So the Epicureans, um, there's always makes me think of there's a, a food blog called Epicurious because it has to do with food and eating uh, and consumption. But So sense. they enjoyed yeah. the world, yeah. but also were rationalistic as in the, there's no supernatural. The material world was all we could see, was all we could know. If there is anything other, it's a way and that we have no connection to so it. So in practice they would eat and drink and, and be, be merry. for tomorrow. They yeah. die and it doesn't mean anything, yeah. uh, which is very much adopted by kind of the modern rationalistic, rationalistic post-enlightenment kind of, you know, that a whole idea, the scientific worldview that has no thing out of what we can measure and see and taste and touch and yep. be tangible, not a new idea. No. And then the Stoics who are kind of pantheists who, you know, like you were just talking about before, but also had this idea that everything held a spark of the divine, which was called the Logos, ah, which is interesting. interesting. So Paul takes that phrase and uses it for his own purposes. John takes that phrase and uses it because these are ideas that pre-existed the gospel. Mm. And it's really interesting, and we'll get to it in a second, how Paul – appropriates cultural terms and ideas to present Jesus and the good news of who he is. So the other thing that was really um, interesting that I picked up was that while there was a lot of different ideas and a lot of different temples and a lot of idols, they weren't overly tolerant to new ideas. So they would debate these new ideas, but um, 400 years prior to this, 450 years prior to this, Socrates had been actually tried and found guilty in Athens for introducing teaching on foreign divinities. Ah. So he'd already been tried. And so Paul's down in the marketplace and starts sharing about this foreign god. Uh-huh. And it creates a bit of a problem. That's right. Uh, and they're not stoked about how he's talking um, and they actually call him a babbler. <laughs> what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked. <laughs> This is just like a... So what does he say? He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. That's right. Because he's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. This is cool. So the word for resurrection is anastasis, which is a feminine ending in the Greek. And so there's this, like in the Egyptian religion, there was um, Isis and Osiris, a female and male god who went together. And so there's you could read that as they're thinking that they're talking about 
this Jesus and this Anastasis, this ah. male and female God who, who are in partnership and who work together. Ah. And they're like these foreign gods that he's preaching about. about. Sure, it's crazy. Sure. Yeah, interesting. interesting, right? Crazy. But uh, they take him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Mm. Where they said to him, and we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Yeah. It, this is a really famous scene in it Acts. Is. And really so interesting scene. We'll, we'll, go, we'll, we'll kind of briefly go over what he said. He, he, he talked over, um, you know, uh, a beautiful kind of contextualized version of the gospel, you might say. Yeah, he you uses know, what's around him. Previously, you know, to a Jewish synagogue, he would expound the Old Testament scripture and the Mosaic law, talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and how you can have salvation in him and empower him, empowerment by the Holy Spirit, perhaps. You know, and they'd go through the, the history, etc. Here, they're not the Jewish, they're not of the Jewish beliefs. So what does he do? He takes their context and their gods and he, even mentioned one of these unknown gods. Yeah, the altar he saw to it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He says, you're so ignorant of the very thing you're worshipping and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he explains that there's there's God who made heavens and earth and that he doesn't live in temples by human hands. He gives life and breath to every single single, uh, being. And it kind of summarizes this beautiful, like, uh, phrase that was actually of one of their beliefs that says um, we live and move and have our being, which mm. is from a Greek philosopher, in fact. And and he they're kind of he's Epimenides. He's kind of quoting this Greek <laughs> quoting philosopher. Quoting their own guys back to them. Yeah, it's pretty rude yeah. actually, I think. Well yeah, keep going. And <laughs> um and uh, continues to explain. He says you should you needed to repent. Um he said a day that there were the there will be a judgment of the world with justice by the man he's appointed, Jesus. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is Jesus. Which would have annoyed the Epicureans. And so this is like such a beautiful, beautiful sermon, beautiful preach. You know, like he's contextualized the gospel to these philosophers. Man, what an awesome sermon. And I know that a lot of people hold this in such a high regard. They really do. And, and they they see the way that he contextualized the gospel really well. And I understand that. He did. It's true. Um, the only downside to that is not many people got saved. Well, not only do they not get saved, they mock him. <laughs> they he mocked about him. about the resurrection. Yep. They said, about the resurrection of the dead. Some crazy. Weird. And others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. <laughs> Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was uh, Dionysius. Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Demarius and a number of others. So there's at least two, maybe a handful of others who believed, um, but it's not a whole town. It's not a whole village. It's not like this sermon changed the world. Yeah, which, right? it, you know, it's 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 almost these days held like that, you know, like this yeah. is such a, a crazy, beautiful sermon. Mm. I've definitely heard it talked about as a way to share the good news of Jesus with those who have no grid for faith which, or, or any kind of organized religion, Yeah, uh, which is increasingly difficult to find. But So did he <laughs> succeed in this Was sermon? it a good sermon? Did he deliver a good speech, which you know we, we talked about being one of the best in Scripture perhaps, um, or was it not so successful? In worldly terms, it looks like a failure, right? Yeah, it's a like, couple of people get saved. They get like they... They shun him. 
Yeah, they make fun of him. Yeah. Like they called him a babbler in the marketplace and now he's at the Oropagus. It's like, oh, dude, you're crazy. They sneer at him. As if, you talk, as if resurrection's a thing. Yeah. So this is the interesting thing that I learned in preparation for this. So in, in N.T. Wright's biography, he talks about this and he spends a fair bit of time here. And I mentioned just before that this is the city that Socrates was accused of teaching foreign divinities and tried. And that happened at the Oropagus. It was actually, uh-huh. in Randy Wright's understanding in his reading of history, it wasn't a place where philosophers came and talked about their ideas. That was the marketplace where Paul had been. This was where when people had been accused of false teachings or teachings contrary to what the city held to be okay, they were bought and put on trial. So, in fact, Paul's not preaching a sermon. He's giving a defence for why what he's saying is legitimate. He's actually trying to defend himself. Right. But Paul being Paul, he's also using it to try and flip it a bit. So um, the speech is self-defence, allegedly. According to Wright, the speech is actually his defence in court about why he shouldn't be punished, ejected from the city, whatever happens to those who do the wrong thing. Okay, so you're saying that that rather than it being a public, you know, speech TED Talk space where everyone comes and gives you your time, your your chat or whatever, he's saying, no, no, you're saying that, anti Wright's saying especially, that, that this is actually him on trial. Yeah, which makes more sense. It's a very formal environment. Like it's a council. He's brought. For, there's a member of this, and so you know it's the it's the court of ideas which Athens is trying to uphold, and so he's promoting his belief system, and what he's trying to do. Although he does kick a few little kind of barbs in, like he tends to do. He drops in the resurrection thing right when he sounds like he's got him in yeah. his hand. And the resurrection, and then the res- and like oh man, you ruined it at the end. But what he's trying to do is is defend himself by saying what I'm actually teaching is part of what you understand. It's just below the surface. You right. haven't realized that the reality of the true God's been here all along and you didn't see him. Right. Which is why some people say this is a, a sermon that promotes a natural theology mm-hmm. that in the world you can find revelation of the one true God without necessarily the revelation of Jesus. Like we can find God through observing a the mountain, world around a us. sunset. Yeah. Like you know, there has to be a creator. Yeah. But, um, you know, the more traditional position would say, well, maybe you might, understand there is something transcendent in existence, but can you really know God apart from Jesus? And so that's where natural theology becomes a debate. Yes. That is not the point of this episode. <laughs> that's for another time. Great debate. But, so the people go, oh, Paul failed or Paul promotes a natural theology or Paul does this or Paul does that. Paul walked away unpunished. So he Paul wins. was successful. Well done, Paul. <laughs> the bonus is a few people got saved on the way through, which is even Well better. done, Jesus. And that kind of brings us to the end of this this scene and the end of Paul's time in Athens. And we don't know if he planted a church. There's no real record of that. It's just there was Nothing. the moment in Athens where Such a funny he shared his ideas, he was put on trial, yeah. he got off, and a few people believed. So, chapter 18, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, the original plan was for Timothy and Silas to meet Paul in Athens. Yeah. What happened happen. there? Didn't happen. Well, and this is why, again, it's probably good evidence that Paul was on trial for his ideas, is that he had to leave. Interesting. So, we come to Corinth, and um, again, it can just look like the next verse, the next sentence in the story, but this is actually a really important moment to stop because this church and this city will be a huge part of Paul's life. 
So we will often look at Romans as kind of Paul's ultimate expression of his thought and theology and practice and all of that stuff. And it's amazing. It's an amazing book. Paul hadn't been to Rome when he wrote his letter to the Romans. But Paul writes two recorded letters to the Corinthians and probably two more that we don't have anymore. At least one more because in the yeah. second one it says, in my other. Yeah, in, in my, my sorrowful letter like, well, after my sorrowful visit. So Paul spends a fair bit of time in Corinth here, but Paul spends a lot of time in his life thinking about this community of people. It looms large in his world and it was a big city. Is an important city. So in Greece, Greece is kind of split up into two parts. There's the main uh, mainland part where Athens is, and there's this very narrow bit of land, the Corinthian Isthmus, which goes mm. across to what looks like an island but is actually attached by this small land bridge basically. And Sparta was in the south, and it was a really big, important city. So there's Sparta and Athens, and right in between is Corinth. Corinth's right on the on the coast, so it's a, it's a port city. Um, it had been a really important city. The Roman emperors had tried to build like a canal across the isthmus so that the boats could go through there and not have to go all the way around. So it had been this really important city throughout history. Um, potentially, though, prior to uh, in the kind of 100 or 200 years past, prior to this because of plagues and depopulation and Roman practices, Corinth might have actually sat almost empty because of just what had happened in the world at that time. And then the Romans had repopulated it with ex-soldiers and ex-military that they wanted to get away from Rome because they were like hired soldiers and they didn't want them nearby to start revolutions and try and take over the city. So anyway, um, it's sitting over there and it prided itself on being this really Roman city. Mm -hmm. It was like um, in Rodney Stark's book on the history of Christianity, he says it's just it was a chaotic city. It was just this chaotic it was commerce, urban, but yeah, everything going on. Commerce, uh, trade. Yeah. Uh, there's the the immorality as yeah, part everything. of it. Yeah, like what we talked about earlier yeah. about you know you're such a Corinthian. Yeah, I can't believe you said that about me. Wow. Um, you know, um, it. We kind of think of chaotic cities like you know pre-modern Elizabethan and Victorian cities. If you're in a Western context, you know when it was there's no electricity and it was like kind of unpaved streets and it's like. That was structured compared to these ancient right. cities. They were just bedlam. It was yeah. just insanity. And there's hundreds, over 100,000 people in these cities, so they're massive for their size with very little infrastructure and that kind of stuff. And so Paul walks in alone. He gets off the boat or however he gets there. Is it a boat? Is that what happens? It's, uh, uh, he just leaves Athens. He, just he leaves. probably walks because yeah. he can walk there. He can walk through. And he gets there alone. He's been kicked out of three cities in a row. He's just been on trial. He's been beaten. So where do you go? Like, where do you go when like you've you, got nothing? When do you walk into it? But not city? even that. Like even just if you look at the start of the letters, his first letter to the yeah. Corinthians, when he talks about when he first met them, he said, "I came to you in weakness, with fear and trembling." Yeah. So because he'd been on this journey, he was he was alone, away from every support. Wow. He'd been rejected and kicked out and beaten. He's probably still got scars on him from being stoned a few years earlier. He's been put in this Philippian jail, which is probably malnourished and probably got some level of sickness and dysentery. And now he's like, been and he's walked into this city, bedraggled. Yeah. Just wow. Wow, far out, just totally just a train wreck. And so he comes in. And I think this is why Corinth the Corinth experience and the Corinthian letters and the church in, in Corinth is so significant to Paul because they took him in. And that's what happens when he first arrives. Mm. And so he meets these two people. Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. That's actually a really helpful phrase. Mm. Because we know when that happened from 
non-Christian sources because right. yeah. the records of Rome tell us when that happened. Probably because of this person called Crestus, huh. which was C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. And so we don't know if that's an early version of Christ or some other leader, but this Crestus person had made problems and all the Jews had been kicked out. And so these two Italian Jewish people had come across to Corinth. Interesting. So Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker, huh, He's a tent maker. He's there a tent you maker. Go. He had a job. Really interesting. Uh, so because he's a tent maker, as we were there, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned with the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Interesting, though, that a lot of people use this this talk of tent maker as yeah. he he did ministry and everywhere he went, he also made tents. But I don't know if that's true. I think it happened to be here. It definitely happened in Corinth. That's the only place it we know. It definitely happened here when he's waiting for his crew to come or whatever, he's waiting for God to lead him. He just starts to make tents. He's, he's got he nothing knows, else. knows what he can do and he makes some money with tents. So every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, interesting, trying to persuade them. Now Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. Paul was de- uh, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Okay, so he was tent making. Now he's devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Yeah. So we assume that some financial aid arrived with the gentlemen when they returned. Maybe that's why they went. We don't know. But he brings back good news, though, that everything's going well there. Yep. And so uh, they began to testify to the Jews about Jesus being the Messiah. Now, they weren't happy with that. <laughs> they, uh, they, were, they were not happy at all, and they opposed Paul. They became abusive, classic story. Mm-hmm. And so Paul replies. He shakes out his clothes, and he says, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Which is another classic Paulism because before you know it, he's back in the synagogue <laughs> in a different city. Sure. But this is hilarious. He says, that's it. I'm going to the Gentiles. I love this in verse 7 of chapter 18. And he left there and went to the house of a man named um, Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> so I'm like, fine, I'm going to set up right across the street and yeah. you can't do anything about it. Classic. <laughs> it's and like, oh, my goodness, it's this massive city and he sets up <laughs> literally right next door. Oh, so funny. <laughs> but how pretty, it's pretty cool that obviously the synagogue leaders and, and the synagogue people could hear him perhaps. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Anyway, they heard somehow and they believed, the whole household believed in the Lord. This is yeah, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Yeah, that's right. How cool. And, and so, uh, yeah, and many other Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Yeah. Pretty cool. So Paul establishes some ministry here. He's got partners. He's got an income stream. His, his entourage is back and he's got some support. He's actually feeling like he's making some progress here. And he stayed there a fair, fair while. He stayed there. As yeah. Verse 11 says, he stayed there for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So this yeah. is this is beautiful. But why did he stay there? It's the verse before that. It says in verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. So Jesus shows up at the start of his Corinthian ministry and says, do not be afraid. This is in red letters in my Bible. This is Jesus oh, that's talking. that's cool. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people? How cool! Can you like this is Paul? You got to you got to sit yourself where he is, like yeah. seriously. Like, and this makes Acts so much more powerful and so much more engaging when we can actually kind of find Paul's feeling in this because we don't get a lot of his feelings. No, we don't get a lot of the emotional Just that range he's of Paul. Annoyed most times, mostly either annoyed or rude <laughs> yeah. or being a bit cheeky. Yeah, we don't get like the inner monologue of what's he's feeling. And so Jesus personally shows up. This is Jesus who changed his life on the road mm. to Damascus. Mm. Who, you know, that encounter gets quoted three times in Acts. 
this is Jesus showing up again and says, I'm going to protect you. Can you imagine the relief? Mm. So the guy who's been attacked, who's been abused, who's yeah. been assaulted yeah. and persecuted, he's like, no one will attack you to harm you. Like, oh. So the attack will come, but no one's going to harm him, which is really an interesting thing because verse 12 kind of picks up the end of his initial Corinthian ministry uh, his on his first trip. And it gives us some context. So when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Classic. Yeah. So this is not an unfamiliar space for Paul. This is pretty familiar for him. He's given up on a whole bunch of like, I'm just going to go do my normal thing. I'm not going to talk to the Jews. I'm not going to go in there. I'm yeah. just going to reach out to these Gentiles. But and the Jews still yeah, yeah. come that's and right. attack him. That's right. That's right. And so... The Jews make this complaint, um, and uh, just before Paul's about to speak, um, Gallio steps up and he speaks. Yeah, and so he he stops the proceedings before they go any further, and he basically says, look, here's the deal. You Jewish people are allowed to do what you want to do. We've already got that rule. In the Roman Empire, Jews can worship their God. They can follow their own principles. If this is an internal Jewish matter, I, don't I actually wanna, don't want to know about it. I don't want to be a part it. of it. I do yeah. not want to hear about it. Because they're bringing the whole, it's anti-Jewish, but now it's anti-Roman as well. Yeah. It's other, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> not interested. In fact, so not interested. I don't care about this poor guy. You guy in charge of the synagogue, you're going to be in trouble. So he gives him a beating. <laughs> Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, gets beaten in front of everyone. And the proconsul says, I don't know about it and ignores it. Doesn't want to have any part of it. And that's kind of the end of Paul's ministry. Interesting. So- Jesus was right, strangely enough. True. <laughs> no harm came That's to Paul. True. In fact, the guy who was opposing him got beaten up. Just like Elymas, the the magician who went blind, those who are opposing Paul on God's work are back there. God backs Paul up. He says, I got you back. I'm not, you're not going to find yourself in trouble. Man, this must have frustrated the Jewish guys. Oh, so they've, they've gone, this guy's coming against all we know. And the Roman leader has said, no, you guys just go figure that out because this is just a Jewish sect and you guys can surely yeah, deal with this it is yourself. Your own problem. And so this is actually an advancement to Paul and his ministry in Corinth. In Corinth totally. Because he gets an extra couple of years just yeah. hanging around. So we, for, oh, 18, yeah, we don't know how long, but for some time. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, they left the brothers and sisters and sailed to uh, for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So you're back to Antioch. So. He's like, okay, my work here is done. It's time to head home. But his new friends are coming. That's right. And they will start and, to feature more in this story. And his new haircut. Yes. That's On right. the way, he decides to cut his hair. That's right. Now, actually, sorry, and my fault. I should have paused us because we missed something. Ah, oh, sorry. It was No, no, it's all good. It's probably in this period. Ah. Uh, Somewhere maybe in verse 18, maybe in verse 11 where he stays 18 months or verse 18 where it's for many days more he stays. It's probably at this time, according to some of the timelines of Paul's life, that he writes his letters to the Thessalonians. Mm. Uh, so First and Second Thessalonians, two of the earliest letters, probably after Galatians, uh, which are really interesting letters. They have a whole lot to do with how they carry themselves in their, in their relationships, but also about the end times. Uh, so it's, it's the 
parousia, the end times, the second coming of Jesus. It's looming large for Paul. So as he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the first one particularly, he starts to appropriate all of these cultural familiar things. So he's talking about Jesus coming back in triumphant procession and his followers being caught up to him. He's using all this Roman imagery and all this kind of this contextual imagery around him for these, these people in Thessalonica who are part of the Roman Empire but have said yes to Jesus and have some Jewish heritage but maybe not and they're maybe not as discerning as the Bereans up the road because they don't necessarily search <laughs> the scriptures. So he's writing to encourage this little church that he clearly loves. If you read First and Second Thessalonians, oh, yeah. man, he has this deep affection for them. He longs to be with them. Like, and the way that he talks with such kind of such fondness but also such tenderness about Jesus coming and, and being with them, like it's really powerful. And so you can really imagine – He's in the middle of this city that is just, and when we read First Corinthians, man, these guys, there's sexual immorality everywhere. They're, there's temple prostitute worship happening and the Christians are like, do we still do that or not? I really like that bit of it, but maybe we shouldn't do it. I don't know. Like what can we do? What can't we do? And it's really intense. He's getting attacked and he just takes his time to pen mm-hmm. a few letters to these people to encourage them. And it's interesting too that, you kind of get the feeling that Paul thought that this was going to be the end for him sometime soon because there's this whole thing about, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we will be That's joined. Right. So it's like, will that be in my lifetime or not? So you almost get the feeling from Paul, like he doesn't know how this whole thing's going to work out. Um, but there's this real sense of Paul's own kind of mortality when you read those. And I think that's entirely evidenced by this, the journey he's just been on. Yeah. Just this persecution, this oppression, this on his own, spending all this time alone just reflecting on what's happened. Like, man, it would have been really intense. And so I think those letters, if you go and read them, yeah, even now, just like when you finish this episode, go and have a read of First and Second Thessalonians. Yeah. They're really like quite sobering and quite yeah. like encouraging to a bunch of people who are probably under a fair bit of persecution, but also because, you know, the, the mob that kicked him out still lived in the city. I can't imagine they were overly excited about this new bunch of heretical, anti-Jewish, anti-Roman believers as far as they were concerned. That's right. And so Paul's trying to encourage them, but also with his own awareness of his own kind of finiteness. Like it's really, yeah, it's, I have been really mm. impacted by finding the taste and the yes. touch and the smell yes, of Paul's same, life. Same. And I think next episode as we, as we jump into uh, his third missionary journey, we really Oof. see him write some more letters. And again, we'll see how that, the flavor of the ministry that he does comes out in the letters. So totally. we'll see that next yeah, it's time. Yeah, really good. But just before he, he sails off, he cuts his hair yep. um, because of a vow he had taken. Now, yep. we, we can assume that this is linked to a, a Nazarite vow. Probably, probably yeah. yeah. Cutting the hair off. And this mm. means, you know, that he would not take. Because normally not that would happen at the end of the vow. But he's on the journey back to Jerusalem. Because so, I read one comment to say, yep, totally been a Nazarite vow, which means he's abstained from something for a period probably of time. Probably wine or something. Yeah, because he wasn't married. It probably wasn't relationship with his wife, but it was probably wine or strong drink, which was a, a standard Nazarite deal. But then he cuts it before he gets to Jerusalem, and normally you go to the temple oh, to cut the hair off as, as the act of devotion. So the other thing is he may be, mm. is he may be getting a haircut as, a, as his vow to go back and present himself in the temple because he's going to go back to Jerusalem again. Mm which is glossed over in this incident. Like he goes back to Jerusalem later, but right now at this journey, it's just like it's it's not even mentioned in some translations. It's a footnote. Um, so it's it's like why is he cutting his hair? What I think is interesting though is, again, like Timothy's circumcision, this is kind of evidence that maybe 
Although Paul was vehement that salvation was only through faith in Jesus and not through any external mm. evidence, I don't think he'd fully rejected the practices, like the devotional practices of the Jewish upbringing he had. Mm. So he still wants to do temple worship. We see later on there's this complete train wreck of a scene where he goes to the temple but he's got a haircut and he goes with other people and tries to sneak into the temple to do <laughs> temple worship. Because they, they even in early Acts, they go to the temple to pray mm. daily. That's what they did. Like they mm. didn't know any other way. And so there's still obviously something in that for Paul. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting because we think he's totally rejected all Judaic practices. Uh, but, well, maybe yeah. not. Maybe maybe he's not as reformed as we think. <laughs> <laughs> Not there's anything wrong with that. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you know, often we'll just try and think of Paul like he's a modern preacher and not an ancient Jew Roman citizen. Yeah. You know. Okay, so they arrived in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. Yep. Uh, he himself went down to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, same old, same old. Yep. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it is God's will. Which we'll find out. Turns out it is. It is. So. Spoilers. Um, and so he sets out from Ephesus. He landed in Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, Phrygia strengthening all the disciples. Ah. Which is kind of the start of his third missionary journey. <laughs> so he comes home for some period of time. And then head straight back out on the road. But that's the end of that second missionary journey. Literally in one sentence he goes from Caesarea to Jerusalem back to Antioch, assuming that all went well. <laughs> I'm assuming there's testimonies and stories. No news and is good news. Preachers and signs and wonders and things that mm. followed, but we don't get any of that. Yeah, we don't get any of that. Yeah. But we get uh, probably a restful, maybe an appropriate end to what's been a really tumultuous few years in Paul's life, probably three years, maybe four Hard to say. So we're probably in the early 50s uh, now, uh, not of Paul's life but of years, and he's been through the ringer. He's been literally across the Hellespont and back. You know, he's been right around the Aegean Sea. He's experienced all this stuff, the highs and lows of ministry, and he kind of comes home for this breath before he heads back out into the next missionary journey. And uh, we, we're going to stop there, but the, the chapter's actually not finished. It, it goes on and talks about this guy called Apollos, and we're going to jump into that next episode because we feel like it kind of links better mm. with the next next episode. But the the it's amazing to see the power of God at work in this second missionary journey, mm. going into foreign areas where the gospel might have never reached yeah, before. Totally. And, uh, and people responding um, – you know, things happening, people getting beat, people getting thrown in prison, jailers coming to know Jesus, you know, mm. um, um, Areopagus officials coming to know Jesus. Yeah. Like such a cool story. And an old, you know, Jewish synagogue leaders coming to know Jesus mm. and the power of God's been at work. Mm. I think what really kind of <laughs> impacted me the most in reading this section uh, and the encouragement it is, is that um, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's fruitful. And just because it doesn't feel like you're winning doesn't mean God isn't using it. Mm. So Paul's in prison, Paul's beaten, Paul's kicked out, Paul's run out of town. A few people respond to a pretty solid message, yet God's using every part of it. And so for us and for me, I think at least, um, any given circumstance in our life, we might be feeling like we're hard done by, we're hard pressed, it's all not working well. But the reality is we don't know what God's doing behind the scenes. Yeah. We have no oh. idea. And yeah. and that's really powerful. Like the church in Corinth became this massive deal for Paul's life. Mm. He was there for a few years. 
maybe not that much longer than other places. We don't know. But, man, he, what we have in existence, he poured his life out into those people. So, so yeah, cool. powerful time. And, again, just to just to say again, I feel like this is this is really capturing my heart as I'm going through this and studying through through these, um, these podcasts is, man, we're so grateful to Luke to recording this down. Right. You know, so yeah, often so we much. as Protestants go to Paul's writings. Man, Romans, what a book. Corinthians, wow, what a beautiful Galatians, book. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians, yeah, beautiful Ephesians. But we, we look at those and we, man, there's so much power in them. They're so rich um, and, and man, it makes so much more sense i think and it's more powerful even when we see what paul's been through as he goes to these towns Mm. and sees and so i'm really appreciative of course to luke and and to god to to allow us to jump through this and to to know it and to explore it and we lose that when we don't read acts that's right so go read acts go read acts yeah that's right well thanks so much for joining uh with with us in in this episode uh the sixth episode of acts and uh we'll be back in two weeks time with another episode feel free to subscribe and like and and share these around and uh, we'll be back then thanks for listening to this river life podcast make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content if this podcast has raised any questions for you contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through facebook and instagram thanks for listening